Alright, well good morning again everybody. Uh, good morning online, thank you for watching. Uh, those of you watching either live or recorded later on, um, we're always glad to have you here. Uh, a lot of times we have more people online than we do here, and uh, that's okay. Uh, so it's, uh, it's been edifying and it's, uh, it's uh, been fruitful, uh, we're good. Um, anyway, a couple announcements before we get started this morning message. Uh, um, first of all, our LEOs, our Bible classes, are going strong. Uh, we keep getting new members almost every day. Uh, and our new members, I almost, we don't have church membership in that regard, but just uh, registrants and participants in that, however you want to phrase that. Um, it's just it's there, it's at your own pace. Uh, we just, uh, uh, there's a little process at the beginning getting logged in and getting set up, but once you get there, it's pretty smooth. And so, um, anyway, so feel free to register if you have questions or any challenges, even if you are watching or on it, uh, feel free to reach out anytime and we'll, get, we'll find out a way to get them fixed. So, anyway, that's going strong. We have our Bible uh, study tonight here at 6 o'clock. Uh, uh, we're not, and uh, I think I made, made, mentioned last week, we're not taking a break during the, during the holidays uh, uh, on Sunday night. But uh, Sunday, Saturday night we will be. Uh, we'll be meeting next week, and then we'll be taking a break till uh, sometime January. Uh, we'll get better notice, and I'll, I'll make all those announcements on the website. But uh, anyway, so uh, we do have Bible say this Saturday, and then after that we're going to take a break for a little while. But uh, speaking of Saturdays, uh, coming Saturday the 30th, the last Saturday this month, that Thanksgiving weekend, we're going to be showing uh, Karen's Bible College production, The Heart of Christmas. And we're going to be showing that on the big screen here. And feel free to come. Uh, we'll have popcorn and different things to help, to help watch it and food. Uh, feel free to bring something. Feel free to bring a friend. It starts at 6 o'clock. And then uh, we have, uh, if you have a flyer, we have a couple left. I need to make some more. But we have some Christmas stuff coming up in December. I'll do with those more as we get a little closer uh, to that. Uh, so anyway, I think that's all the announcements I have. So pretty much the same ones we've, we've been having recently. And I think I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into the message this morning. So, alrighty. Well, again, I'm excited about this series. Uh, first time I've taught it. Uh, we've had us tie carrots to Rossa Purdue. We have a uh, class available on our, 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 our Bible classes. Um, it's one of the first ones we offer. Uh, but at the same point in time, uh, I, I'm teaching using his outline. And, and you may mention, why do I want why have I done that? Sometimes I've used his outline or Dwayne Shedd's outline or some other people's. And I don't always do that, but maybe I've done that, done that uh, pretty frequently. Because some of these teachers, I want to get I want to study it. I want to be able to teach it. Uh, I'm not trying to teach their material so much, but I, I just want to teach the subject. And they got to get out like to start with. And I, I, I want to get it. And uh, you learn more by teaching. And I used to teach just to myself, uh, just, to, just to get it down. Uh, and I used to start writing some books just to get my thoughts down. You learn while you teach. And so it, it is an effective way to learning. Uh, and so it's not the only way of learning, obviously, but it is an effective way of learning. So I'm doing it not just for me, but I'm hoping it's being fruitful to you as we go forward with this. So we're talking about in Christ realities. We didn't quite finish last week, but I'm going to uh, just make one little note of that in, the, in a few moments. But we're talking about in Christ realities. And I mentioned last week, there's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament alone about who we are in Christ. And that's a lot. And... Uh, we had a message a while, a while back about how the early church were, were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine to uh, fellowship, uh, breaking of bread and the prayers. 
but the Apostles' Doctrine, uh, over 300 times, has mentioned about who we are in Christ. And uh, we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to, and that's because that's who, if we're born again, that's who we really are. The old man's dead. The old man's been crucified with Christ. The old man's been buried with Christ. We need to get to know who we are. We need to introduce ourselves to ourselves. We need to introduce ourselves to ourselves. <laughs> and I can put it that way. We need to know who we are, and we need to be established in, in Christ's reality, because it is a reality. The flesh is not a reality, uh, but that, that what's internal in us in Christ is, is, a, is more real than this flesh, this world. Uh, I know that's hard for us, our, our natural minds, to comprehend that. And in doing that, we've been talking last week, I kind of had a subtitle to my first message about the value of identity, identity. and we're still going to be talking along that theme, we need to know who we are, we need to have a value for our identity. I kind of have a subtitle for this day's message, in which we'll be talking about a change of identity is necessary for a change of destiny. Our mission statement for this church is to enable others to become established in their identity, equipped in his word, and to be empowered to fulfill their destiny. We probably won't spend a lot of time so much on the latter part, even though that's our, our mission. And I believe we know who you are, and you're equipped in his word. You'll fulfill your destiny, whatever that destiny is, whatever that purpose is. And I believe as you delight yourself in the Lord, you will, he will give you the desires of your heart. He will show you what you need to do, your destiny, uh, and whatnot. And we can spend more time with that later. Um, but uh, last week we looked at Numbers. We looked at Numbers 13. We looked at the 12 spies who went into the Promised Land. And 10 of them came back with a, an evil report, a negative report. Uh, they all had heard what God had said, but only Caleb and Joshua had believed what God said, despite what they saw in the natural. And, and there's a verse in Num Numbers 13, 33. You don't have to turn there. But uh, they, their report, they came back to 10 spies. The negative report says, we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We need to see ourselves as God sees us, not as we see ourselves. And how we see ourselves will affect how we relate to God. It will reflect how we relate to other people. It will reflect how we relate to ourselves. And it will reflect how we relate to the devil, the enemy. Okay? Um, hope that's making sense. Uh, just a couple of footnotes. Uh, and my main point that I'm trying to get across right now is that we need to see ourselves as God sees us. That's important. If how we see ourselves doesn't line up to the Word of God, then we need to change that. We need to change that perception. We need to change how we see ourselves. And not and I'm not just talking about on Sundays or when we're hearing a good message or we're worshiping, but <coughs> everything we do, from our job to our vocation to our family to everything we do, we need to see ourselves as God sees us. And the only voice that really matters in our life when it comes down to it is what God says. And I'm not saying we we're ostracizing other people from having a voice. But at the same point in time, we, regarding our opinion of ourselves, it needs to line up with what God says. And there's some other people's opinions, including sometimes our own, because sometimes I mean, I mean, you are sometimes negative towards yourself. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I'm glad I'm not the only one. And sometimes we need, we need to stop listening to ourselves and regarding our opinion of ourselves. And if our opinion of ourselves or others does not line up with what God says, then we need to change that. And we need to learn to detox what other people say about us, including ourselves. We need to change that. And so, and, uh, and so that's part of my goal. 
Last week we uh, we also after we spent some time in Numbers we went to we, we spent some time in Ephesians chapter one and chapter two. And in cha- chapter one we saw some things that Paul says that we are, and I'm not going to go through all these uh, in detail right now. But we talked about how we are we are saints, we are faithful, we are blessed in Him, we are chosen in Him. And God chose us before the foundation. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the, of the world. We talked about that even last night in the Bible study. We were predestined in Him. We are accepted in the Beloved. And we are redeemed. And we talked about, uh, I think, either six or seven of those that I just listed right now. Okay. In chapter 2, we looked at how we've been made alive together with Christ. We've been quickened together with Christ. We've been raised together with Christ. And we've been made to sit together in heavenly places. I went through a lot of different things. Uh, in chapters 1 and chapter 2. Ephesians, I mean, oh, again, there's 300 times this is mentioned in the New Testament, but Paul in Ephesians, especially Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, is just turn on the fire hose, so to speak, uh, talking about who we are in Christ. Paul talked about this a lot. Uh, and one thing that we made, as we were kind of clo- a point we made last week, as we were kind of closing, that God sees us in our full potential in Christ. And we need to sometimes just meditate on that and kind of digest that. God sees us in our full potential in Christ. I don't know about you, but sometimes I see myself as inadequate or I fall short or, or I see my uh, uh, failures and weaknesses and, uh, and again, goes back to inadequacies. But God sees us in our full potential in Christ. God saw David in his full potential. God saw Esther in her full potential. God saw the children of Israel in their full potential, despite the giants. God sees us in our full potential in Christ. We can do what God calls us to do. We can say what God calls us to say. We can go what God calls us to to go in Christ. In the flesh, we can. In the flesh, we're going to make a mess. In the flesh, we're going to mess it all up. But in Christ, we have a potential to do things. And actually, if our vision for ourselves is something that we think we can do, we need a, we need a God vision because God's vision for you will be beyond what you think you can do in the natural because it's, it's going to be God's thing. When, God, when you look at the Old Testament, you look at some of the stories even in the New Testament, God called them to do some things that were just supernatural. You look at the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. God's purpose, God's desire, God's uh, in your life is going to be beyond you because you're going to need God to do it. And if you can trust yourself to fulfill your purpose, uh, that's not healthy. We need to trust God to fulfill our purpose. Our purpose is only going to be fulfilled in who we are in Christ. That makes sense? And uh, uh, yes, we're going to participate in that. God's not going to make us robots or puppets. Uh, we have a part to play in it, but we're going to do it trusting God. We're going to do it relying on God, and we're going to do it in our potential that is in Christ. We're not going to accomplish our destiny. We're not going to accomplish our purpose outside of who we are in Christ. And if we're trying to accomplish our purpose, and sometimes some of us are still trying to define what that purpose is, and I get that. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes there's seasons of life. And sometimes there's, there's, uh, uh, and, and there's all kinds of... And sometimes that purpose kind of adjusts in different seasons of life somewhat. 
And sometimes there's a total do-over. <laughs> you know, uh, we missed it or whatever the case may be. But, uh, but we need God's vision of what we're supposed to do. And we need God's vision of who we are. And we need God's vision that who we are in Christ so we can fulfill His vision. We can't do anything without Christ. We are no one in Christ, but we are in Christ. That is who we are. Our destiny is going to come from who, knowing who we are. That's where it's going to start. We're going to look at it a little bit that day in the life of Abraham. Uh, so, uh, uh, real quick though, uh, I meant to start here, but let me switch gears here. Let's go, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. And then we're going to go uh, look at Abraham. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, and this has kind of been my main verse, but I haven't really spent a lot of time with it. <laughs> uh, this is kind of, when I originally was playing this series together, this verse has just been reading down to me, and I've been thinking about it all week long, but I haven't really mentioned it uh, that much, and I think I might have referred to it a little bit last week, but, and there's so many, because there's 300 scriptures again on, on who we are in Christ, but Paul says we are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. And I like the last part, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But we are complete in Him. You are perfect in Him. You are complete in Christ. That's awesome. We don't need, you know, so many times we're trying to make ourselves better. We're trying to think better. We're trying to have a better attitude. We're trying to make, there's so many attributes and, and angles we're trying to make ourselves better, but if we can understand that we are complete in Him, but, uh, and, and sometimes we don't like what we look like, or sound like, or our attitudes, our sometimes even our personalities, and sometimes even our habits, but we are complete in Christ. And, uh, and uh, um, we just, if we know who we are in Christ, we're going to see that completeness, because really when we see ourselves in Christ, who are we going to see? Not us, we're going to see Christ. Our focus is Christ. We're in Christ. And, and when we see ourselves, we should see Christ. Because that's what God sees. God doesn't see the flesh. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, four, uh, uh, 5, excuse me, that we know no man after the flesh. The flesh is dead. We don't know anyone after the flesh. Yet that we keep seeing the flesh. We keep relating to the flesh. We keep identifying with the flesh. But that's not who we are. We've crucified with Christ. We're born again. If we're born, we wouldn't need to be born again if we're still in the flesh. We're not in the flesh anymore. We are in Christ. And that's a whole concept uh, that I'm trying to get across here. Am I making sense so far this morning? It's kind of just introduction where I'm going and a little bit of recap from last week. Um, and um, one other note I want to just make that I didn't get a chance to talk about last week. I just reminded you before I go to Abraham, is that I was going to talk about forgiveness. Go read one more verse real quick. Colossians 1, 14. Sorry, I'm skipping around a little bit because I'm trying to wrap up last week. So I just want to make one more uh, 
kind of minor point, but I want to make sure I make it. If, if there's so many attributes of who we are in Christ, is that it says in, here in Colossians 1 14, in whom Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to spend a little more time on this a little bit later, but uh, we have redemption in him through his blood, and uh, also the forgiveness of our sins. And I just want to make a footnote real quick about forgiveness. And this not only applies to forgiving others, but also I'm applying it more to forgiving ourselves. We need to know how to forgive ourselves about things that we've done or haven't done. But forgiveness is part of our redemption. Christ paid for our redemption. Christ forgave us. God forgave us at the cross. He's forgiven our sins at the cross. And your redemption, your forgiveness, is a finished work. And because of your forgiveness... You are complete in Him. That makes sense. Okay? That's important because we forget that many times. We lose sight of that many times. We know it doctrinally, but we need it in our heart. When you sin, and, and you know, some people will always ask, can I ask for forgiveness? God's already forgiven me. Like, is it okay to ask for forgiveness? And I'm okay with asking for forgiveness. I don't have a problem with that. In and of itself. But... Your focus can't be on your sin. Your focus must be on His forgiveness. There's a fine line there. It's okay to ask Him for forgiveness. But your focus can't be on your sin or your failure or shortcoming or whatever it might be. Your focus must be on His forgiveness. That make sense? Uh, yes, you need to keep a good conscience before God. And I'm not telling anyone not to keep a good conscience before God. But your focus needs to be on what Jesus has done, not your failure. That's important. Your focus, it's okay to ask for forgiveness, even though when, if I did something to my wife Sherry, uh, and she's already said forgive me, I still feel bad about it. But I, I and, and, and I don't want to feel good about what I did wrong. <laughs> that would be bad, you know. So I need to give, keep a good conscience in a sense, but I need to receive her forgiveness. I need to be healed from that. And I need to receive that. Sometimes God's already forgiven us. He's not keeping that against us. But sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. And that process of asking for forgiveness can be healthy in the sense that He's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's already done it. But sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. But the focus, we need to get our focus on what we've done wrong. And I'm not telling this. Now, Jesus, when He forgave the, the, the woman caught in adultery, He says, Neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. He wasn't given a license to continue the lifestyle. He did exhort her, go sin no more. But the focus wasn't on no go sin no more, even though he said that. The focus was I forgiving him. And that needed to be the focus. She needed to be free. She needed to be healed. She needed to change. change. But, you know, how I many, some, a lot of times until we know we're forgiven, we're not going to change our lifestyle. We're not going to change. And, 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 and so, uh, see, a lot of people. When they ask God for forgiveness, their focus is more on their sin than His grace. And that's dangerous. That's unhealthy. And, uh, and they, they have a hard time getting over it. Their sin or their failure. And if, for example, if they ask for one of His promises to be manifest in their lives, their focus is on their unworthiness to receive the promise. On their unworthiness for their prayer to be answered. Because they're focused on their sin. Not his forgiveness. And that's why it can be dangerous. 
But we that, that makes sense. Our redemption is in Christ. It's a, it's an accomplished fact. It's it's a done deal. He's already forgiven you even before you ask for forgiveness in that sense. He's already forgiven the sins of the whole world. It says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, and also 1 John chapter, one and, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He's already forgiven. He's not imputing the sins of the whole world. He's imputed them to Christ. But if G people don't receive the forgiveness, then, 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 and they reject what Christ has done for them, then there will come a day where they will experience the full wrath of God in, in the end. But God's not... I even talked about this last night. God's not even looking for what's wrong. He's looking for what's right. Even look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, for, for instance. Remember the story when Abraham was negotiating with the angels that there'd be 50 righteous, 40 righteous, 30 righteous, all the way down to 10. The angels weren't looking for what was wrong in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were looking for how many righteous. And the only righteous ones that were left was Lot in that city, in that community. They weren't looking for what's wrong. They were looking for what's right. God's always been looking for what's right. Even in the Old Testament, it's a, uh, we can see, uh, we see wrath, but we see, can see the heart of God. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but I just want to make mention of that. Uh, we, need to, we need to get our eyes off our sin, and we need to get our eyes on Jesus. And Because uh, that's who we are in Christ. We need to get, our sin has been paid for. We need to receive his redemption. We need to receive his forgiveness. Uh, we need to change that. Because if we don't change that, we will affect how we relate to God. When Adam sinned, did God hide from Adam? Or did Adam hide from God? Adam hid from God. He had a guilty conscience. Okay? God never hid from man. He's never been hiding from man. You have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before there was a, <coughs> excuse me, sin. Before, even when you didn't want God, He already died for you. Your focus needs to be off your sin. Your, and your focus needs to be on Jesus. And you need to receive His forgiveness. He's already forgiven you. It's eternal. It's, a, it's an accomplished fact in the mind of God. But you need to receive it. It, need, it needs to be an accomplished fact in your mind that He has forgiven you. When you change how, when you do this, it will change how you relate to God. And until you change how you relate to God, it will change how you receive from God. You won't receive from Him. All the promises of God are yes and amen. But you won't receive from Him, even your destiny, your purpose, if you're still focused on how, how you're still focused on the flesh, you're still focused on in, how inadequate, or that you're a failure, or uh, uh, what are your weaknesses. We need to get our eyes off that because our flesh is dead. We in the flesh, we yes, we are weak, but we're not in the flesh. We are in Christ, and we need to see the reality of that. If Christ has already redeemed us, then our forgiveness is already an accomplished fact in the mind of God, according to the riches of His grace. In other words, what sin have you committed that the blood of Jesus has not already paid for? There's not even the worst of us. God has already paid for the sins. And we need to receive His grace. His grace has covered that. Does that make sense? But I felt like I needed to make mention of that. And one more other thing I just saw this. And I go to Abraham, I know I keep saying that. But Ephesians 1.11, real quick. 
Ephesians 1.11. Yeah, just a little funny thing. I know we spent a lot of time in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all this. If you want to remember what order those books go in, God eats popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. God eats popcorn. Just use your acronyms for that. And, and you can always remember what order they go to. And there's a little funny thing, but they helps me. And so, and every time I think of that, I get hungry. So. God eats popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's cute. Anyway, uh, in him, in Christ, that's what we're talking about. Also, we have a king of inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of him. I want to, spend time, I want to just make mention of this week. We're going to look at this over the to Abraham. But in Christ, we have king and inheritance. We're talking about so many attributes of who we are in Christ. I'm not just focused on one. But we have an inheritance in Christ. We're talking about in Christ realities. And one of those attributes about many other things that we were talking about, we have an inheritance. In other words, let me just make mention of this and we're going to go to Abraham. God has invested something in you. In Christ. He's made an investment in you. There's an inheritance. There's an investment that he's made in you. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Okay? Uh, hopefully that's making sense a little bit, but it'll make more sense as we go forward. Okay. Let's go to Genesis chapter 17. i got to come back to what I just said uh, here a little bit. But God has made an investment in you. In Christ. But in Genesis 17, we have the, the story of Abraham, Abraham. At this time, he's called Abram. And we're not going to read the whole story, but we're going to bring out some nuggets. But uh, Genesis 17, we'll start with verse 1. And anyway, actually, I'm going to toggle to the King James just for a moment. And Abram was 90 years old. So if you think you're old, you're young. And nine, 900 years of nine, 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make you my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, Now, if God showed up to me and told me to be perfect, I might fall on my face too. You know, I mean, that, 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 that's just a big one right there. Be thou perfect. And how many you know we are perfect? We are complete in Him. Okay? He said, I will make a covenant to the, between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. Look at verse 4 and 5 real quick. And as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And neither, neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations I have made thee. Okay, I'm go back here to read King James. A little easier reading, but I just felt like reading it for me. He did. Here in the beginning, there's a couple, three or four different things I want to bring out of here, first of all. God, at the beginning here in verse 1, is just simply revealing himself to Abraham, or Abraham. Okay? He's revealing himself. He reveals himself to Abraham as, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and make that perfect. We'll, we'll spend a little more time on the walk before we make these blameless or perfect uh, um, a little bit later. 
But even this phrase, or this title, if you will, of I'm the Almighty God, I'm the El Shaddai, uh, uh, um, I'm Elohim, is another way of looking at that too. When you study this phrase out in the Hebrew, it means that he has, he, it means that God has so much efficiency that we can't, Abraham couldn't even consume it. God has so much efficiency. He's the almighty God that we have, can't even consume all of that he, we have in him. Um, so the first thing is God's revealing himself to Abraham. I'm going to spend a little more time with that. Second thing that God is doing is God is calling him into a relationship. I will be will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. God reveals Himself, and the second thing that He does is He calls him into a relationship, and this relationship is a covenant relationship. It's not just an acquaintance. It's not just a, a friendship, even though Abraham is a friend of God. There's a scripture for that. But in a covenant relationship. See, covenant is a reflection of who God is in us. We have a covenant relationship with God in Christ. Our efficiency, I'm going to piggyback in on the efficiency too. Our efficiency in this life, everything we need is in Christ. Healing, provision, we are complete in Him. Anything we need, anything we need to be efficient, anything we need in this world, anything we need for our families, anything we need for our ministry, anything we need to do what God calls to do, anything we need for life and godliness is in Christ. And we, God has revealed our, himself to us in Christ, and God has called us into a covenant relationship with him in Christ. I'm going to be relating this a little bit more. I'm going to, I'll use some more scriptures to validate everything I'm just saying. But everything God is doing with Abraham, he has done with us in Christ. Okay? Am I making sense so far? Um, see, covenant is God's idea. It wasn't Abraham's idea. It wasn't our idea. We didn't come up with that idea. We're not smart enough for that. Um, Abraham wasn't smart enough for that. It was God's idea of covenant. Okay? Covenant is based on his performance, not our performance. In many ways, in this idea of covenant, we are just the beneficiaries of his covenant with himself. We can look at this a little bit more later. See, when we are in covenant with God, and I don't have time to, to, to draw all this out right now, but when we, if we study this, and we have, even have a class in our Bible classes from uh, Lost and Purdue on Bible covenants, and, and there's a Covenant in itself is, is an awesome study to talk about. But when we are covenant with God, it's in a sense God saying, you are going to see my character, my nature reflected in your life. When we are in covenant relationship with God in Christ, we will see God's character, the character of Christ reflected in our, his character, his nature reflected in our life. Based on covenant relationship. And we're going to spend a little time developing that a little bit. Also, again, going back to the Lord Almighty, our El Shaddai, there is no lack in God. There is no lack in Christ. Jesus is enough. Christ is enough for whatever we need. Look at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. Yes, we look at him as the Son of God, but he laid that down to be the Son of Man. And there was nothing that stopped Jesus 
doing whatever he needed to do. If he needed to feed the multitudes, if he needed to help Peter catch the fish, because, you know, every time we have a fish story with Peter, he never catches anything until Christ comes on the scene. But every time he, he, he get, Christ comes on the scene, he gets a boat sinking, sinking that breaking boat load, boat load. He has the biggest fish story. I can just imagine him going back to his wife. You will never imagine the fish that we caught today. He's like, yeah, right, Peter. <laughs> you know the fish story. I'm just being facetious, but, you know. But anytime he, without Christ, he never catches anything. You know? But and, and anyway, I don't know why they always catch him at his, his bad moment. You know? Uh, everyone can have an off day. And how come every time he had an off day, Jesus showed up? You know? But anyway, uh, I, I need to get off that track. Uh, I'm, uh, anyway. Yeah, let that go. Yeah, let that go. But if you come into relationship, God's saying, if you come into relationship with me and me, and have a covenant relationship between me and you, I will multiply you exceedingly. I will bless you exceedingly. Okay. Um, he has more than enough for us for anything that we may need. Now, talk real, real quick with me. We're going to come back to this. But in John 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus speaking here says, I have come that they, or that you, you make it personal, may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. You know, so, so many times we're focused on what the enemy has done. Kill, steal, destroy. So many times we, fo we focus on what he's, he's done or what we've done wrong. Or how the enemy got the best of us. In this particular situation or events. But God, through Christ, is Christ the Savior. I have come that you may have life and have an abundant life. God has an abundant, rich, full, extravagant life I don't care what you've done wrong. I don't care how, how maybe you messed up your life up to this point. Or maybe you just never knew so you never tapped into the resource. But uh, God has a way to restore all the wasted years. Uh, but God has an abundance for you. And I'm, I'm not trying to talk about just finances, but in Christ there's every spiritual blessing. Everything you need. And it's not, it's not, God is not Chintzy. I say that right. He's not. He does, he's not cheap. God is extravagant. I mean, if you just think when you read the end of the book Revelation and you see the heaven, even some of the gems and gold and precious metals and and stones that we cherish today as expensive, God uses a pavement. He uses it as a mortar in the walls and, and, and the gates and, and whatnot. He uses it as the foundation of, 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 of the New Jerusalem. In other words, when I, when I read the story about what heaven's going to be like, heaven is not bankrupt. Heaven is not on short supply. God, God, heaven's not struggling. It's extravagant. We have an, an extravagant God. And he has an extravagant life and purpose and destiny for your life. But we're also going to find it out that, that not only will my God supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I'm not just talking about finances. 
but I'm also not excluding me either. But why does God want to bless me? Why did God want to bless Abraham? Because if you read the story, God wanted to bless Abraham to bless all the families of the earth. God wanted to bless Abraham to bless all the nations. It wasn't about Abraham. And in one sense, there's a starting point. But it wasn't just about Abraham, even though he's the focus of the story in many ways. And it was about reaching the nations. God wants to, God has so loved the world. And it's not just about your life and your problem and your situation and your destiny. You're, you're part of the puzzle. You're part of the purpose of God to reach the world. To reach your world. To reach people in your life. God wants to bless you. And for you to know who you are in Christ, so that God can use you in this world. I'm, I'm, we're going to see this a little bit more as we go forward. But am I making sense so far? Don't be one, one other scripture real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 20. We've called it this many times. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God. Do you know what the word all in Greek means? All. I mean, that, 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 I know that's real deep for some of us. But all means all. All doesn't mean some. All doesn't mean the top 20. All doesn't mean multiple choice. I, you know, I don't worry get on a bandwagon with this, but I went. I had to go somewhere for the last few weeks, and I paid for parking. One day I was there an hour, and they charged me $5. A week later, I was there for 12 hours, and they charged me $2. And then I, I went there another day, I was there for 10 hours, and they charged me $6. And I find like, how do you guys pick your pricing? And I never got a straight answer from anybody. But it's like, you guys are just like rolling dice, and whatever it comes up with, that's what I pay. You know, can I roll the dice? <laughs> you know, uh, but but you know, uh, and so the promises of God are not. You know, I hope that God's going to answer my. So all the promises of God in who Christ in Him are yes, and in Him, Amen. To the glory of God, but we always forget this little phrase through us. All the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. The way I always picture that is when a judge puts down the gavel and says, so be it. It's a done deal. It's a accomplished fact. If you're going to appeal that, you're going to have to go through a whole other process to appeal what the judge has said. Because whatever the judge so ordered, it's so ordered. It's done. Once that gavel goes down, and once once uh, that has been that declaration has been made by that judge, it's an accomplished fact. It's it's almost it's sealed. It's done. Now there could be a whole court system to unravel that, but you're gonna have to go through that whole process again. And that's just our 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 court system. But all the promises of God in Him are yes. There's no no. It's all yes. And they're in Him. They're Amen. The word Amen means so be it. In the Greek. That's what it means, so be it. When we say amen, it's not just a nice little caboose on the end of our prayer. It's, it's not just a cachet. It's so be it. 
And we have authority in Christ to use his name, to use the power of eternity of his name, and say and ask anything in his name. Our Father says he will do it. Because all the promises of God and him are yes and amen to the glory of God through God's. God is glorified when we are walking in his promises. God is not glorified when we are living a life of defeat. When he's not glorified when we're not walking in the promises. Whether it's because we don't know, or because we think we don't, or we're not worthy, or whatever the reason may be. God is, God is blessed when you are blessed. It doesn't bless me when any of my friends or even my enemies are struggling. Even my enemies. I mean, one thing for us to say that about our friends, but it, it, there's some people who have done us wrong and more, worse than wrong. But it doesn't bless me when I know that they're struggling. It breaks my heart. Sometimes my flesh wants to be raveled up about things. But my heart of hearts, who I am in Christ. And I'm not trying to give me glory on, you're just a nice guy, merciful, compassionate guy. If I have anything good in me, it's because of Christ. My flesh wants to sometimes get even and get mad and, and stew and he gloat maybe sometimes even in their pity. But my spirit doesn't want to do that. And anyway, I don't want to get off that bad way. That's not what I'm talking about. But all the promises of God glorified when we're blessed. He's our father. How many good parents or any good friend wants to see their kids blessed, not struggling? He's not just dangling a carrot. Well, if, you, if you're good enough, you get to use this. It's almost like, you know, the gospel is too good to be true. And sometimes we act like it's so good to be true, I can't even use it. I can't even exercise it. It's so good to be true, it's a scam. Sometimes we, we act like that. But it's too good to be true because it is. But they're, they're in Him, they're yes, and in Him, they're amen. But until we understand who we are in Him, we're never going to use it. And the world is never going to benefit because we're not using it. We, he has redeemed us by His blood that we would be kings and priests in the world. God has saved us. God has redeemed us. Everything we were talking about earlier, God has given us an inheritance, not just so we can be blessed. That's very selfish if that's all we want. If we just want to be blessed, or us four no more blessed, that is a very sorry attitude. It's just selfish. And I'm not trying to pick on anyone, don't get me wrong. But we are blessed to be a blessing. We, there's a person of Ephesians, we work with our hands so we can give to those in need. We are blessed to be a blessing. And in that process, we're blessed. And, and the more we can, God can get through us, he'll get to us. There's just an endless cycle of even when I give it away, there's more coming. Every time I put a seed in the ground, more come up. I didn't lose that seed. I got more in return. You, can, you can't outgive God. You can't outbless God. You can't, when you're trusting God and God is your source, He's your efficiency, He's your Almighty God, and you are in covenant relationship with Him, He is more than enough to get an endless supply. Even if they steal it, I got more where it comes from. They can steal my things, but they can't steal my God. He's my El Shaddai, he's my provider, because there's more where it comes from. And then there's scripture that says, if the enemy steals from you, you're going to have seven times more. Now, I get, now that they stole from me, I got seven times as much. And if I messed it up, God says he restores double. 
can cash your double. I'm not encouraging us to mess it up. Because I don't want to go through that whole drama. And it's painful. Yes, they made out the kill, still destroyed. He, he has not given up. He doesn't have an off day. He's not sleeping. He's not a sleeping giant. He's crafty. He's cunning. <coughs> and the number one thing he wants to steal from you is your faith. He wants to steal from you your identity. Because once you know who you are in Christ, you are his worst nightmare. <coughs> but when we don't know who we are in Christ, we're under his thumb, in a sense. Does that make sense? Because we're, 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 when, we're, when we're struggling in our pity parties, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, he's got us right where he wants us, enemy. But when we know, we know who we are in Christ, even though he's slaving. Forget the hell that rest of our verse goes. But it just, no, God is our sufficiency. And when we know we're in Christ, Christ we can access. God says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. Keys locked and unlocked. We can bind things and we can lose things. God's given us the keys. <coughs> you know, when you have the keys of something... You don't have to wait for someone to come and unlock the door. You can have access anytime. There's some places I would like the keys to. <laughs> you know, anyway, sorry. I gotta get off that. But, uh, am I making sense at all? I haven't gotten the very part of it. Um, we'll go back to Genesis 17. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father <coughs> of many nations. And God's purpose and why he wanted to bless him, and we can see this in other passages in Abraham's story. He said, in, uh, actually, if you talk with me real quick, in Genesis chapter 12, Verses 1 to 3. God said to Abraham, Now the Lord has said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land where I will show you. I will bless you. I'm sorry, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's purpose in blessing Abraham was not just to make Abraham great. And it wasn't just to make Israel great. But thank God for Israel. And I'm not... Israel, I can bring this out of scripture, is God's firstborn. I've taught, taught this when I talk about tithing, about the firstborn, the first fruits. Jericho was God's first fruit so that Israel could have all the other nations that they conquered. He said when they went into the promised land, Jericho's mine. Don't, don't take it for yourself. And then we have the story of Achan, the son of Achan, and we have the defeat of Ai. But then once they realized but they paid their tithes, so to speak. They had the rest of the nations. Israel is God's 
firstborn, natural Israel, so that God can have the nations. He wants to, it's not about, it's not that God's playing favorites. There's a kingdom principle. And I don't have time to teach all this right now. But God, there is a, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 9, there is a natural Israel, but there's also a chosen Israel, and there's also a spiritual Israel. There's a true Israel. We are true Israel. But God wants to save us so that He, through us, can reach the nations. God wants to reach the world. We can't limit God to just our world, our society, our family. Praise God for that. And there, 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 uh, there's a priority that to, in its right context. But God wants to reach the nations. Am I making sense? I feel like I'm being a little random, but, uh, but God's purpose is to be a for us to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. Let's go back to Genesis 17, verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. See, the first thing God did was he revealed himself to Abraham. The second thing he did was uh, invite him to a covenant relationship. But the third thing he did is change his name. Change his, your name has to do with your identity. When Sherry and I got married, uh, we had to change her, uh, her social security card. Uh, well, we had to change her name, but we, we, we forgot to change her social security. <laughs> we hadn't thought about it, but she, at the time, wasn't working, so we just didn't, it just didn't come up on our radar. But uh, we moved to Wisconsin. We lived there almost a year, and uh, we were getting ready to move to Illinois from Wisconsin. And uh, we needed a little extra cash flow for this transition season, so she was going to get a job at Walmart. Uh, now, Wisconsin, it was a town of 6,000 people, so the only big store in town was Walmart. And so uh, uh, everyone worked at Walmart. Uh, it just, uh, but anyway, she just worked there temporarily, but she couldn't get a job because she didn't have time to change her name. And so, security, so we had to take a two-hour ride to Madison and, uh, and get, get that uh, straightened out with the social security company, uh, our agency. And so we, we, we did. But your name is your identity. God changed his identity. God changed his name from being Abram to his name meaning the father of many nations. God had already promised him. God had already made a covenant with him. And we just read that he's going to be a father of many nations. But he changed his name. Every time people were said, hello Abraham. It wasn't so much the fact that he didn't have any kids yet, but God had promised him, made a covenant with him, that he's going to be the father of many nations. So every time they said his name, they were reinforcing what God just said. You're a father of many nations. I'll be making connection to that. See, God's saying, when you come into relationship with me, or with God, he makes what is naturally impossible, supernaturally possible. Abram was 99 years old. Sarah uh, was, was uh, old to her womb. They were beyond the age of childbearing. It was impossible in the natural for them to have a child. Okay? But God, when we come into relationship with him by covenant, God can make what is impossible possible. Okay? God made things, we'll see this a little bit later when we get this far, but God can make, he calls them things that are not as though they are. And God spoke his word, 
which is the word of life, into a dead situation, their womb, their childbearing, their king of babies. If, but when we read, and we're going to get there eventually, Romans chapter 4, that Abraham didn't, Abraham didn't even consider the deadness of his body or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider their dead bodies. Their bodies were dead in the sense of childbearing. It was just, it was a dead situation. But God spoke his word, his covenant, in his word. And Abraham believed God. He didn't consider the, how old he was or the deadness of, his, of, their, of Sarah's womb. See, this is an example of salvation. Salvation is not a self-help program, as some people have believe. Salvation is not being the best you can be. Salvation is not doing all you can do. You couldn't do anything to save yourself. You can't do anything to heal yourself. You can't do anything to save yourself in any way, shape, or form. And that's why God sent Jesus His Word. If there, see, our lives were a dead situation. We couldn't live. We couldn't have Offspring, spiritually speaking. We couldn't be a blessing to the families of this earth. Because we, spiritually, were dead. But God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. See, if there was a law, we'll get here eventually too, if there was a law by which righteousness could have come, righteousness would have come by the law. But there wasn't. That's why God sent Jesus. And it's a type, this story is, of Abraham is a type of Jesus because it's a type of how we receive righteousness and how we receive salvation. We do what Abraham did, just simply believe God and His Word. How can we, by we we look at our, how can we be righteous? How can we be saved? How can we be holy and sanctified? Even if we could keep the law to, to, even if there was a law that could make us holy, that righteousness would come that way. But there's not a law. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing that we can do to save. We might have made a mess of our lives that come so short that we, we can't do anything to do anything to make it right. But Abraham couldn't do anything to have a child. Naturally, they tried and tried and tried for 90 years. Or however long they tried, they tried. But God spoke into an impossible death situation and, and made it be not only were they going to be, have a child, but they're going to be the father of many nations. And God has spoken his word to us through the gospel through Jesus Christ. He sent his word and he made us who were dead in our sins and trespasses and made us alive together in him. And it's not just he making us alive together in him, so we are alive. He made us alive together in him, so there can be an offspring, spiritual offspring. We can be a blessing to this world. That makes sense. See, a change of identity is necessary to possess our destiny. God changed Abraham's identity. He gave him a purpose. He gave him a destiny. And this is my purpose. But before that could ever come to fulfillment, he had to change his identity. He changed his name. He changed Sarah's name instead of being princess to the mother of princesses. Sarah was her name. The value of identity is this. If we will begin to see ourselves the way God sees us, it will help us fulfill our purpose. 
God's purpose for Abraham was to be the father of many nations. He didn't even see himself as that. Despite the deadness of his, his body, or Sarah's womb. And Abraham did right. He didn't consider how dead it was. He just took God at his word. And we need to take God at his word. Forget what we've failed. Forget the past. Forget what we've done wrong. Forget everything else. I don't care how long you've had that disease. I don't care how long you've had that problem. I don't care how long what, how, how long your finances have been or whatever. Believe God. Believe God. He is your Savior. He is your El Shaddai. He is your provider. He is a God more than enough. You can do what God's called you to do. I don't care how dark it looks. I don't care how dead it is. Don't consider it. Don't consider what it looks like. Don't consider what it smells like. Consider one thing and one thing only. God said it. That settles it. Believe God. Believe God. God wanted to bless all. See, God didn't, God's purpose was not just to bless Abraham. God's bigger than that. He's, not, he's more than blessing this guy who came from Ur, which is Babylon. That's a whole other story. That's Iraq. <laughs> And different, and different things. And that's a whole story for us in our in our day and age. But God, it wasn't just about blessing Abraham. And Abraham didn't have it all together. It wasn't because of his perfection. I mean, he tried to sell his wife twice, or give her up. He had he had some he had some bad some bad issues. The whole family was a carn artist. Jacob, being a deceiver, that wasn't even his name. I mean, they didn't name him deceiver. I mean, that was just bad. It wasn't, it wasn't, the patriarchs weren't just because they were the, 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 the best of the best. But God chose them. And God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. I hope I'm making sense. I'm making some comments along the way, but I hope I'm making sense. See, we're going to get into this in just a moment. I'm not saying these things before I get into it. I don't even know if I'll get that part of it. we 12 o'clock. See, God did it. God not only was blessing Abraham. We're going to look at it in just a moment. God blessed Abraham's seed. And that seed, singular, is Christ. And that seed, Christ, is the Savior of the world. It's our Savior. And it says in Galatians 3.29, if we are in Christ, which is what we're talking about, we are Abraham's seed. And we are heirs of the Okay. Let's, okay. let's switch gears. Let's go to Romans. I've been talking all about it. Let's go there. Romans chapter 4. I'm making sense this morning. You know, I'm making a lot of different points and even comments along the way. Romans 4, verse 3. Paul's writing, but he's quoting. He says, What? Well, what does the scripture say? Romans 4.3 Abraham believed God For some reason it's not on the screen, so just follow me. Well, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Abraham believed God. That's what made him righteous. We're going to spend a little time with this. And this is important for us to understand. Um, scroll down with me to verse 13. Romans 4, 13. For the promise that he, Abraham, would be the heir of the world. Just knows that for a moment. He wasn't just going to be the heir of Israel. The land Israel that we know today. God was, God promised to Abraham that he would be the heir of the world. That's leaving no nation out. God, God wasn't just about natural Israel. And get, don't get me wrong. Israel is God's firstborn. He's, it's very precious to him. I'm not putting Israel down. But God's purpose in blessing Abraham was not just so Israel could be saved. Or we who are in Christ could be saved. God wanted Abraham to be the heir of the world. Was not to was not to Abraham to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For those who are of the law, verse fourteen, are heirs. Faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse sixteen. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now there's a lot of things in here, and let me just make some comments. God put in him, and God put Abraham in right standing with him because he believed God. That's righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. Our right position with God. We are in right standing with God just like Abraham because we believe the gospel. We believe God. It's not because of our performance. It's not because of what we've done right. We believe God and it was accounted to us for righteousness. And it was accounted to him for righteousness so that Abraham could be the heir of the world. We're going to come back to that. See, it was God's plan to restore authority to humanity. That's a big topic. What I mean by some of that. See, God originally gave authority to Adam. And I just want to take this off. I'm going to not the right verses up there. God originally gave authority to Adam. Adam lost that authority to Satan. Christ has redeemed that authority back to us in Christ. Okay? He's restored that back to us. See, but between Adam and Christ, Satan became the God of this world. But God's promise through Abraham was that God, the promise through Abraham, that he would be the end of the world. Satan ruled as the God of this world between Adam and Christ. But what I'm trying to get at, too, is when we understand righteousness, when we understand who we are in Christ, I'm talking, again, I'm talking about so many attributes about who we are in Christ. One of those attributes is that we, and Abraham and his seed, would be the heir of the world. God has restored authority back to man the way God, Adam, had it before the fall. Adam had full authority over the world. 
and he, and scripture I can back this up, and there's many, but in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, that God, through his blood, through the Christ's blood, has made us to be kings and priests to reign on the earth. God has given us authority, and he, and he, he restored that authority back to man. See, the promises of that, that Abraham would be the heir of the world was not through the law. It was not through his performance. God's promise to Abraham was through the righteousness of faith. That's important. See, the, it has to be a, I like verse, I love verse 16 because it says, it is a faith that it might be according to grace. It also says back here in verse 14 that if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. If, if we had to keep the law to become the heir of the world, if we had to keep the law to be saved, which would mean also being the heir of the world, faith would be void and the promise would be of no effect. But it had to be of grace. It had to be of faith so that it could be of grace. It, it's not, his, God's covenant with us is not based on our performance, but it's based on His grace. It's based on His goodness. Otherwise, if it's of the law, we, it would be based on our performance, and we would all come short. The promise would be of no effect because the, no, one would, no one would measure up. No one would be able to keep it. No one, the promise would be of no effect. And we, all of us, from Adam to the last man who's ever born, last baby who's born, would die and go to hell. But he made it of, made it of faith so they could be of grace. This is powerful. The law is holy and good, and it, 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 it's righteous, and it, it, it's holy, it's good. But it's not good for us to partake, and the law can't make you holy. The law can't make you good by keeping it. The law, it says in Galatians chapter 3, I'm not going to go into all those scriptures, is our schoolmaster to, to bring us to Christ. If the law is the ministry of condemnation and death, it says in 2 Corinthians 3. Why? Because it's telling us that we fall short. We need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. And as a schoolmaster teaching us, drilling it, but it's a hard taskmaster. It's drilling it, it's not drilling it, it's engraved on a curve. It is, it is black and white, it brings wrath. It tells us we need a Savior. There is no hope in ourselves. But against all hope, Christ came. And he has redeemed us. And we put our faith in him. He is our propitiation. He's our substitute. He took our place. There was an exchange. He took our sin, which means he also took our penalty so that we could have his righteousness. And with that righteousness came authority. See, Adam had authority until sin. And once sin came in, he had no authority in this earth. But Jesus, who not only did never commit a sin, but in him there was no sin, he had authority. He had authority over the, the, the fish, over the waves, over the storm, over the dead, over the sickness. He had authority because he was righteous. With righteousness comes authority. We lose our authority because of sin. 
But Christ has redeemed us. And we have authority. We are heirs of the world. We are the kings of the earth in Him. Not outside of Him. Not in the flesh. But in Christ. He has given us the kings of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is in us. And he's told us, whatever we bind will be bound. Whatever we lose will be loose. We, all the promises of God are yes in him and in him, amen, through us. We have the keys. We have the authority because of righteousness by faith. Without righteousness by faith, we would have no authority. God has restored authority. God blessed Abraham to be a blessing to the nation. God has blessed us to be a blessing to the nations. I, what I'm saying is very profound. And I, I'm still, in many ways, trying to get my head wrapped around everything I'm saying. But if we understand, see, see, but the devil knows. If we understand what I'm trying to say, and what I'm trying to teach, and what uh, uh, the, Paul is trying to say, we can turn the world right side up. We are out of the world. We have authority. We can call the things that's not as though they are. There is nothing. God is more than enough. We have the keys of the kingdom. We can heal the sick, raise the dead. There is nothing in this earth that we don't have control of in, that, in the sense of who we are in Christ. We can make what's wrong right. We can speak life into death situations. We can speak uh, love into hateful situations. We can. We have the spirit of God. We have the, the nature of God. We have the fullness of God in our eyes. We are complete in Him. And when we are, all scriptures proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training, and righteousness, the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not just some good works, all the promises of God are yes and in Him, amen, through us. But if we don't know who we are, we will never use the keys. We will never use our authority. And His gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Because the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel should shine in their hearts. When according from the second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 and 4. I'm making sense. I'm saying a lot of different things. And I know that. And it can be just overwhelming a little bit. But, see the Bible is a book of redemption. God wanted mankind to be fully restored. Adam lost everything. Adam had a sin to begin with. We are going to get a new body, and we are going to get a new heaven and earth because sin has destroyed these too much. But we have the same more authority and much more because of Christ than Adam did. On the same planet, Adam was before the fall. But we have authority in Christ. And that's hard for our religious natural minds to understand. Sometimes we don't even know what we got until we know what we got. <laughs> I don't know if I said that. Sometimes we we, we got to know what we have so we can use what we got. We have all the promises, not just some. Not just the top 20. Not just a random luck of the dice. But we have all the promises at our disposal. God has given us all authority in this earth. Over life and death. The power of life and death are in the tongue. There's so much scripture. 
that I can talk about uh, about this. Let me just mention just one other thing about the law. So see, the law, God brought the law between Adam and Christ, and actually it was 18, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, it was 1,800 years after Adam that the law even came into being, because our law brought wrath, and God was being merciful on, on humankind. He didn't want to just, he knew that the law would bring wrath, so he held back 1,800 years between Adam and between the law. God, God, it wasn't that God was trying to be soft on sin, he just was being merciful towards man. And it says in Peter that God is not slow, that's something some is, but God doesn't want all to come to repentance. Wants all to be saved. And uh, uh, but but he also knew that if he didn't eventually bring the law, man would have destroyed himself. And so God had to eventually bring the law through Moses to curb sin for a season so that the Savior could come. If God didn't curb sin through the law, there wouldn't have been a virgin left for the Savior to come. Man would have been so corrupt without the law that there would have never been a virgin left for the Savior to come. I'm not trying to be crude or anything. I'm just trying to be realistic. God, in His mercy, brought the law to keep sin at bay. The fullness of it. He forced man, in a sense, through the law to, uh, to, to be pure and holy so the Savior could come. If the Savior didn't come, we would all go to hell. So God saved the world. God, the law was good. It was holy. But the law is good, as it says in Timothy, and it's used watchfully to remind us we need a Savior. But now that Christ has come, we're not under the law. We are under His grace. And that's awesome. That makes sense? Um, okay. Got ahead of myself, so I'm trying to catch up with myself. Let's go to Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Talks about Abraham. In the presence of him whom he believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls the things which do not exist as though they did. Who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. The descendants is talking about us, okay, uh, who are in Christ. Uh, see, in the mind of God, when God spoke his word to Abram, saying he will be the father of any nation, he changed his name. In the mind of God, there's one thing I just want to get across, is that in, in the mind of God, when God changed his name, when God changed his identity, when God spoke his word that he's going to be the father of many nations to Abram, in the mind of God, it was an accomplished fact. In the mind of God, Abraham was the father of many nations. And when God said he was righteous because he believed God, in the mind of God, it was an accomplished fact. That's, when God says something, I don't care what it is, it's an accomplished fact. We can bank on it. And my heart is, and I'm saying a lot of different things, but one of my things I'm trying to get across is that we need to believe what God says. And if it's an accomplished fact in the mind of God, it needs to become an accomplished fact in our mind. 
whatever it is. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how impossible it seems. I don't care how dead it seems. Uh, it can be more than impossible. But if God says it's so, then in our mind it needs to be so. And when God says, well, we have a purpose, we have a destiny, God saved us, we're righteous, we are chosen, we are forgiven, so many different aspects of who we are in Christ, then we need to believe that. We need to take God at his word. Abraham took God at his word. And, because, and part of that word included, what I just read in verse 17, that God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. There could be things in our lives that are, seem to be dead. Maybe childbearing is not so much on your list, but some people that I'm speaking to, maybe on the camera, that is a big thing. And it, you, it could be, there could be something physical, it could be something about childbearing, but if you've gotten the doctor's report, you've gotten your lab results, you got something, and maybe some of you, you're just missing the body parts. It, you can't, how I can you, it's impossible for you to, to do what some things, because you don't even know you have the right body parts to do it with. God can speak as things, things that are as though they don't exist. Maybe your finances. I mean, even if you worked, had a good paying job, you're like, how could I even pay these bills? How could I even make it? How could I even know my dream and my purpose, my destiny? God can take your paycheck. God can take the loaves and the fish. God has ways to multiply your seed. God has ways of, I don't know how it's going to happen, but he can call those things as though they are, though they're not as though they are. When God is your source, when you know who he is, when you come into a covenant relationship with God, your job is not your provider, God is. I can't tell you naturally how it happened, because it's not going to happen naturally. It's going to happen supernaturally. I don't know when and where and how. And I'm not saying we don't budget. And do I mean, just this last year, I'm not going to go into detail, but we didn't change our income, we didn't change our expenses, but God gave us a budget, and we were able to save uh, the most money we've ever had. For the first time in our life, we actually had five digits in the bank account. And we didn't change anything. But God had a way, even through budgeting and wisdom, of how, how we could make, save more, and do more with our... Uh, we, don't, we still don't know how it all happened. There were times where we had nothing for five years, and we don't know how we made it. We had no income for five years. We didn't have a home or nothing in there. We didn't even have a phone. We had nothing. And we were only on food stamps for one of those five years. So how do we eat that for? I don't know how we made it. And we look back, we just don't even know how they made it. But God is our provider. He's our source. And when we were in the middle of that, we had no way of knowing how we are going to get out of this. No way of knowing how we are going to get out of this. And there's something that I just can't tell you, but I know I'm going to believe God. And I'm going to speak life to my finances. I'm going to speak life to my body. I'm going to speak life to my situation. There's some relationships. I don't know how they can ever be fixed. But I am going to trust my God. I'm not reliant on their acceptance, but I, mean, I know my God, and I'm not going to give up until God says give up. <laughs> that makes sense? There's so many different situations. But I, like Abraham, he did not even consider. He didn't stagger at the promise. He didn't give up. He didn't consider. Against all hope, he had a hope that is defined as a positive expectation of good. 
And he had a positive expectation that God was going to keep his word no matter how hopeless it looked like. And there's some situations, not only do I feel hopeless, I feel helpless. But I have a God. I have a relationship with the covenant God. I have a relationship with the creator of the universe, the savior of the world. And there is, we just thought about it this morning, the first time, there is nothing unstoppable, impossible with our God. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. Stop looking at your life, your finances, your body, your natural life through the natural lens and realize who you are in Christ. He is your, you know, that phrase, I, I, I glanced over it, but that phrase, when God revealed himself to Abraham as the almighty God, in the Hebrew, it's, it's, this is how it's expressed, that he's the multi-breasted God. And I, yeah, I'm not trying to be crude. This is how God describes himself. The meaning that he is a God of all efficiency. There's so much efficiency. There's just so much milk and richness to him that we can't... I was trying to describe that earlier in my messages with Abraham and even heaven being so rich. God has, is so extravagant. Jesus knew that he knew... He, I mean, he didn't even have a lunch. The boy did. And he was able to feed 5,000 men and their families with the boy's lunch. And Our God is awesome. Peter was fishing all night, caught nothing. And you don't fish during the day. I don't know all the reasons. My imagination, they can see the net. I don't know. But you just don't fish during the day. You fish at night. And they caught nothing. Not only were they tired, but they were discouraged. In any, any trade, if you're discouraged, you've got to keep getting nothing. We need, we, sometimes <coughs> we've lost all hope. We've been in this battle for so long. But my heart in this message is that we, I'm trying to stir us up to believe God. Believe God at his word. He is my provider. He is my healer. He is my redeemer. He is my God. And whatever we need in Christ, God, all the promises of God are yes and in him, amen, through us. If we will believe God, if we will believe who we are in Christ, we can do anything that God has called us to do. We can go anywhere God has called us to do. We can be wherever God calls us to be. That makes sense? Sometimes we've seen ourselves in this state for so long, that's all we can see. But it's time to take off that lens. It's time to see ourselves in our full potential in Christ. Because that's who we are. That's reality. This natural stuff is not reality. Don't limit God in just your paycheck. Don't limit God in just this and that. Be faithful. Be faithful in the little things that God will give. There's lessons in that too. But trust God. Don't trust you. Don't trust your, the system. Don't be unfaithful with it. But don't, trust God. He will give you the wisdom. And bless your field. You know, whatever your job is. I know uh, some driver, bless that car. That car is going to be protected. Bless that gas tank. Bless everything about it. Bless. No, no one's going to come nigh my dwelling place, even if it's my car. No one's going to bump into it. I'm not going to bump into anybody else. I'm not going to have any. I'm, my job is going to be blessed. My tires are not going to wear out. Whatever the case, bless it. Bless, uh, you know, because like you don't get a pick where you're going to go. God can give you the, the perfect agenda. Perfect itinerary. 
with the perfect people coming that you get them to sit in the car and you get the witness to them because the, the conversation comes up. Whatever the case may be, I'm just using one, one as an example and different things. And don't limit it by the natural resources. I don't care how long you've had this disease or this problem or whatever the case may be. Don't limit God. God has taken that cross, that sickness to the cross. He's redeemed us. It doesn't matter how old we are or our gender or our, our culture or whatever. God can use us in this generation at such a time as this. He used Queen Esther. He used David as a shepherd boy. He used, he, I mean, one thing I love about the Old Testament, he, can, he hasn't always used the sharpest crayons in the box or the knives in the drawer or the brightest crayons in the box. He has used, he has used sometimes the weakest things in this world in the natural to show his glory, to show his awesomeness. You might see yourself weak and insufficient, but you are not yourself anymore. You are a Christ. You are in Christ. Am I making sense? I'm saying a lot of different things. You know, I'm trying to get us to change our perspective and stop looking at things from some other natural point of view. Because you will limit God, you will limit yourself, and you will never fulfill your destiny to its fullness from a natural point of view. You have to see yourself in Christ. You have to change your identity. Abraham, God changed his name, his identity, before his destiny came to fulfillment. And his destiny is still being fulfilled in us. Because that promise was made to Christ and his seed. And if we're in Christ, we are of the seed of Abraham. So just the fact that you're here and you're born again, you are part of the promise that God made to Abraham. The fact that we're sitting here today, the fact that you're listening online and you are a child of God is part of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 17 when this, this man who was 99 years old didn't have a child yet. And so Israel wasn't a nation yet. <laughs> and so hopefully I'm making sense, but we are part of that promise. But God's not done. God's not done. Because that promise has been made to you too. That promise has been made to all of you who are listening. And God's not done. Don't limit God. God can take. You are a pearl. A precious pearl. A precious treasure in the eyes of God. That he has left everything to find you. Because he had made an, an investment in you. Making sense? I am basically out of time. I didn't finish one. So we're going to come back here next week and, and pick up. So I, I didn't finish. I have some more more here. And then once we're done with Abraham, we're going to look at Jacob. We're going to look at a man who was wrestling with God to try to get God to bless him. But he was already blessed. And God changed his name too. And we're going to see that. And we'll get a little more detail about that. Uh, but that's just a little little snapshot, uh, but we're going to look at some things about Jacob. Um, this making sense? I feel like I went on to so many different tangents, but I'm trying to get us to change our paradigm, our shift. We're in Christ. And in that, there's all the promises of God are yes and amen. Lord, we worship you, we magnify you. Lord, your word is so rich. Who we are in you is so rich. Or if we would just understand this, including myself, and start walking in this, we are unstoppable. We are unchangeable. We, nothing will be denied. 
the art of Austin and Clay. This is not just a cliche. This is not just a bunch of Christianese lingo. But this is the word of God. This is who we are. This is our purpose, our destiny. This is all about our salvation. Lord, I just pray that we can understand who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Be with us as we go. Bless this week. I pray that we have the best week ever in our jobs, our lives, our families, everything about us. And we give you thanks. Amen and amen. All right. God bless you. See you tonight at 6 if you can. And if not, we'll see you soon. <laughs>